Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I am I'm doing well. Long time no talk. I know. It's been a while. Took last week yeah. off. Mm-hmm. And uh, the week before that was uh, Adam was a guest, so we didn't really talk to each other. So it's good to get back in the groove. A lot's been uh, going on. Yeah, I feel like I've been actually hearing from you because I'm on your code quality challenge uh, mailing list for your uh, your first cohort. So I've been getting your emails. Uh, curious cool. to hear that's going. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'd, I'd love to talk about that. Um, I don't think I've talked about that almost at all on the podcast, just because of how timing worked out. Yeah, I think you just barely introduced it as a nascent concept. So, Yeah, so I'll try to talk about what it is, because I think I haven't done much of that. So uh, I created a thing called the 30-Day Code Quality Challenge. And the format is every day, every workday, Monday through Friday, for 30 days, I'm sending out some sort of small exercise, some small task you can do uh, on your code base. And the idea is that we're all sort of working together to get these, to accumulate a, a collection of tiny wins that will hopefully build into a nice big thing that you look back at the end of 30 days and say, hey, that was great. Uh, things are definitely better than they were. So I, I email out those, those tasks. And also, there is a podcast where I read the text of the task to people uh, if they want it. And then there's also a forum thread. I spun up a uh, discourse forum and... Um, I ask people to sort of chime in with their experience and, and like what it was like to work on the daily thing. And um, there's been a lot of interaction on the forum, which has been great to see. And the, the tasks are, are all language agnostic. So it's things like, let's look for to-do comments and nuke them, or let's work like update our readmes in this way, or things like that. So the first cohort has um, about 600 people in it, just under 600, which, which is pretty awesome. Uh, the signups went really well. Uh, I, I saw a number of people being like, this is great. I'm going to sign up with my coworkers or like, I'm going to sign up my whole team. Uh, like Shopify has like 10 people signed up for it. Um, so it's it's pretty cool. It seems to have, have spread nicely. Yeah, that's awesome. And did it just, most of this just kind of took off from you mentioning it on Twitter and to your emailing list and stuff and folks just kind of... That's it? Yeah. Caught on? Um, yeah. I, I need to do a better job of tracking down UTM sources or things like that. Like I'm realizing I need that I need that for a couple different things. So I'm not I'm not really paying attention right now. Like where are the people that actually signed up coming from? I, I do want to dig into that for, for the code quality challenge, but also for my course, uh, refactoring rails, because I'm now like getting sales, like I'll see like a burst. I'm like, where did this come from? Or like a bunch of new subscribers. I'm like, who who are these people? So I need to, to be able to dig into that a little bit. But our podcast where I had talked about this came out like one day before I closed signups for the first cohort. So there's only a little bit of people from this podcast. Sorry, everyone. That was actually bad timing on my part. Not the coolest thing to do to your podcast audience. But also, I, I tried a thing that worked surprisingly well, which was I have on the confirmation page, after you do the little dot, double opt-in dance, um, I say, awesome, you're in. Um, welcome to the thing. Welcome to the community. This is great. Um, by the way, research has shown that people that attempt things like this with a partner complete more of it. And so if you want, click here to tweet and ask your followers if anyone wants to do this thing with you. Someone suggested this early on. And I was like, you know what? I don't think that'll work, but let me try it anyway. And a, a lot of people did it, actually. Nice viral loop component there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was really awesome to see. Like, that was very exciting for me to watch, too, because I would I'd just be on Twitter and see, like, oh, a new person signed up. And then, like, 30 seconds later, oh, this person tweeted it. And then, like, more people signed up. And it's, it's, it was very cool. Awesome. That's such a great hack. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I was sort of expecting like, oh, like no one clicks these type of links, you know, like especially programmers and no, but people were willing to do it. And I think I think a lot of it honestly came down to the that like justification for why it's a good idea. And like the tweet text that I like the pre-populated text was like, hey, I just signed up for this thing. Do you want to join me and keep each other accountable? And so I, th I think I really oriented it in there in, in the pe person's favor, where it's like, this is going to help you get through this. And yes, it helps me get more people in the challenge, but it's it's definitely oriented towards helping you out. So it wasn't like I was asking for a favor. Can you just spread this around? It's more like, hey, do you want to help yourself have a better chance of success? That's cool. And it's a lo pretty low barrier, right? It was free. It's free, at least for now, to get in, right? And yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, what's the cost? What's the potential social cost of promoting this to your friends? It's like, well, at worst case, you, you know, help someone potentially better their code base and it's free and you're not, they're not having to, you know, 
you're not sharing affiliate links or anything like that. So it's like, it's a pretty low bar. Yeah. Yep. Totally. I think the course having a start date and a cutoff date helped a little bit because if you see that landing page and you're like, hey, maybe I want this, but it's like you have to sign up by this date if you want to get in the first cohort. And it's like, well, I don't know for sure if I'm going to do it, but let me get in here because I don't want to miss the window. A little urgency helped people, helped it you know, spread around faster. And I even had people, like a number of people after the cutoff date emailing me like, can I please get in this first thing? Like my coworker is in it and I want to join that person. Or, so I think adding a little bit of uh, time constraint helped too. Yeah. Very cool. And you've been soliciting, I've seen you soliciting feedback from um, users like retrospectives and stuff on, on how, how things are going. Are you getting good quality feedback? Totally. At the end of week one, I put a, a thread up on the forum being like, hey, let's, let's look back on week one and, and you know, what went well, what could use improvements, uh, what do you think the keys to your success were? Um, the feedback has honestly mostly been pretty positive. There were some small things that people said like, oh, I had trouble with this particular aspect of this exercise. Honestly, most of the feedback was pretty positive, but like it's kind of a self-selecting group. It's like people that are on the forum and contributing and all that. So like, I didn't email everyone saying, hey, go check out this thread. It was just like if you were on the forum doing the stuff, you would see it. Um, so I could I could do a better job of investigating the people who fell off. Why did they fall off? Um, but I don't know that that's the best use of time so much as focusing on the people that are loving it and getting good value from it. So not sure about that one. But actually, the most consistent thing I've seen in terms of not quite a failure mode, but a, a struggling point is that the goal is that each exercise is completable in 20 minutes. And it can be hard to time box things. Like for instance, I just kept seeing over and over. I was like, okay, day two is let's grip our code bases for to-do comments and delete them. You know, make a ticket if you should. Like, put put them in a better place. Um, and lots of people were contrib- like commenting on the forum saying, uh, my project has 204 to-do comments. Sad face. Uh, I could barely chip away a ton of them. This I feel bad. Uh, I need. I'm ashamed. I need to not do this in the future. Uh, I feel like I failed basically. Uh, and so I've reiter- reiterated a few times that success in this is showing up and working a little bit towards it and chipping away. It's not about nuking 204 to-do comments and spending a whole day on it. It's about taking little steps towards greater quality. Yeah. I mean, you you basically gave them an out by saying you could file an issue for for certain ones, right? But you almost need like a parking lot area that you can, (laughs) people can like start it and then say like, all right, here's my accumulated takeaways to spread out over time so that they psychologically feel like they've still succeeded yes and, and so i think I, I need to do a better job of, of talking about like what the what success looks like and so i keep i keep saying it but i i think in future iterations of this i will try to make that even more clear and just keep reiterating it which is like you succeeded if you showed up and you did it for 20 minutes like it doesn't like even if you tried one of the cha- one of the exercises and f- discovered that you couldn't do any of it because it was too hard, too big, too whatever, you got interrupted. It's like, you, you, that's still actually a win because you learned about a potentially good refactoring or a good technique or a good concept. Um, you looked at your code base, you thought about it, you spent some time, like you trained your brain a little bit, even if you didn't improve the code. Next time you go to make a super long class or you know add some complexity, you might think back to that lesson and go, oh, wait, hold on, let me, let me head this off at the pass and prevent it in the first place that point I think will be important to stress. I'm going to keep stressing it and I'm going to try to make it even clearer in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm so glad to see you using discourse and not setting up a Slack channel for this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for sure. Yes. I knew I needed some sort of communi- community interaction and I just like was like, I'm not going to contribute to the Slack noise. Um, and, and this is the perfect async communication type thing. Like I, I don't need to sit in a channel with people and and watch them talk about how they're how the challenges are going. I'm happy to come back after the fact and, and read them all and catch up and whatnot. And Discourse is is such a good piece of software. Like it's it's a really good forum. They did a great job with it. I'm I'm very happy with it. Um, I'm even paying for the hosted version just to completely get a, like get rid of all the stress. Someone was like, "Why is there no SSL on this?" I was like, "Oh yeah, there is no SSL." And I just like one button. They're like, "We're gonna buy you an SSL cert and install it and set it up." Uh, and then so it's just like SSL there an hour later. And I'm just like, that's that's worth money to me. I'm into that. That's cool. Yeah, I joined the... As I've been getting into Elm, I joined the Elm uh, Slack community. And I wanted to post um, our job posting there too. They have a jobs channel. So, you know, I've been logged in, had a, just an open tab on my 
on my uh, Slack app. And literally every time I flip over there and maybe only half a day has gone by and there's like a thousand unread messages in like all the channels. So it's like very uh, vibrant, but I don't understand who's actually getting value. I guess it's just people just dropping in, asking questions of whoever's there and then just contributing to this global timeline of ongoing message thread. But to me, it's like almost useless. Like what, (laughs) you know, for actually seeing uh, independent lines of thinking or what people are discussing, I have no idea what people are talking about. It's just if I happen to swoop in and contribute to whatever the latest message is. Um, So it's pretty, it's such a mess. Like slacks like that to me are not useful to idle in. Like, like you said, it's if you had a specific question and you wanted real time help, and you're and like you're fortunate enough to be in the Elm community where, where people will just help you in real time, it's good for that. But otherwise, like it's almost a shame that all this information is going to be more or less stuck in Slack's world in an unthreaded, unstructured, basically unsearchable format. Yeah, as soon as it's like a couple hundred messages back, it's probably never going to get read again. And if it's searched out, it's going to be out of context. So it's, yeah. Like my discourse forum, actually, I think it might even be public right now. Um, It's like it can be indexable. Like you can have Google index your forum and then, you know, people can find useful topics years from now. Uh, Good luck with that on a Slack channel. Right. Yeah, I've totally landed on discourse forums before. Um, I think the actually the Elixir one is a great example of this where... You'll find Jose just in- interacting with the community a lot. And th- so there's a lot of like really nice forum threads from the language creator that are easily searchable in Google. So it's, it's been, that's been cool. Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm really happy with having started the forum. Honestly, there's like a lot of energy in it, which is great to see. People, it's, it keeps me going because I- I'm making new exercises every day, which is, you know, none of them are super long, but it's like every day I wake up and I'm like, all right, I got to get the thing out today. Uh, but seeing n- people completing them and being like, this was great. I'm looking forward to the next one really like energizes me. And also a surprising a thing that kind of surprised me is that a lot of people commented in the, the week one retro that the forum responses from other people were super valuable to them as well. Because people are sharing things like, oh, I tried this and I found like there's a really good tool that helped me, di- helped me identify unused code. And it looks like this and people are adding additional information. So it's it's turning into like a really nice uh, resource. Yeah, that's true community building there, which is which is great to see happen. It just kind of emerges, right? Like you you can't really control that or force that to happen. It just kind of has to emerge on its own. So it's awesome that it's happening. Yeah, and I'm trying to be like a so I'm trying to model good behavior. Like I try to make my posts good, and I try to like shape the discussion. Like when someone says like. Uh, I could only get to three of the 200 sad face. I like chime in. I'm like, don't feel bad. Like you won. This is good. And like, I'm, I'm trying to direct, like, I want to shape the community in the way that in a way that I think is good. Uh, and like lead by example. And I actually just promoted someone to be a moderator recently because he was contributing uh, super well, like his all his posts are really good. And um, so I was like, hey, like, do you want to be a mod? Like, it's going to give you some powers, but honestly, you probably won't even use them. I just want you to know that, like, I see what you're doing, and I think it's great, and I want you to keep doing it. The forum stuff is actually kind of an interesting thing I haven't really figured out for, like, what will I do for the next cohort? Because there's all this useful information that's tied up in the current uh, cohort's topics. Um, and so do I want to reuse some of those topics and just append to them? Do I want to like link to them as resources? Should we start new topics? Like I, I think I'm going to change some of the exercises between like some of them work better than others. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'll have to try to figure out how to like get use out of that. So I guess people in this cohort will could theoretically hang around in the community or even after their 30 days is up. Is That's that the idea? Question. I, yeah, I don't know. So like I, I've, I've thought about that where it's like, do I lock people out that are like using the forum and like you know contributing positive things that doesn't seem to make sense but at the same time like i i think i'm going to charge for the next cohort and so i don't know what the future of this looks like um in in a bunch of ways actually so it's it's gonna be interesting to see yeah i could see having each cohort have its own dedicated community essentially but then you're not but then, yeah, maybe you're siloing too much when you if you do that. But then again, it feels like there is a breaking point where if there's like, you know, 5000 people in here or something, then it just then like maybe the community is just too large and people are not connecting in the same way that they are right now. So, yeah. One thought I had is if slash when I run a second cohort, I want to do it even better. 
And so things I've thought about are like maybe giving... So like right now, there's just this group of like 580 people, which is not really a group. It's like, you know, it's it's loosely affiliated at best. Um, but maybe in the future, I will divide people up into smaller groups. Um, so like one thought I've had is take the three or four superstars from this cohort and offer them a job basically and be like do you want to be the group leader for part of the next cohort and just help make sure the discussion is on track and people are getting what's important and all that um and and maybe find some way to basically the, the gist would be like create a small a smaller feeling thing amongst a larger community so that you feel accountable and that you feel supported and all that uh, but that's just just one thought i'm not i'm not sure yeah what i do I like that. I think we'll, yeah, let's keep talking about it. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how this fleshes out. Yeah. There's part of me where like, I'm doing a lot of work for free right now. Um, and like discourse is 120 bucks a month hosted. And like, I'm sending out challenges five days a week. And it's like, there's, there's a lot going on right now. Um, and it's all for free. And I'm kind of like, is this, am I being stupid right now? I definitely am like, building up a lot of goodwill. And that's for sure worth something. I think I do need to be able to make some money from this to justify continuing to pour effort into it, uh, given my <laughs> current stat. I don't have a day job. This is not like my side hustle. Um, this is my this is my main hustle. So I'm going to have to figure something out. And I don't know what that looks like. I, I see like a lot of potential different ways to, to think about charging for something like this. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely going to be like wanting to hear what you think and, and bouncing ideas off you. Yeah. I think there's a lot of opportunities here. I mean, you could think of it as this is a community where you could provide value by selling things down the down the road or charge and or charging for future cohorts that's another avenue like this is sort of a freemium model right where in exchange for offering this all this stuff for free you're you're getting a lot of people in the door and so that's a solid strategy for getting getting people into your tribe and then you know monetizing from there but i could i can definitely sympathize with the anxiety over like oh all this is for free you know yeah. Honestly, the whole like the, the freemium thing does feel really powerful. Like I haven't launched something that got 600 signups in a couple days ever. Um, and so it's like the, the, the fact that it was free and the fact that it, like it had a kind of viral component to it and people were doing it with their friends like that all feels really useful. And if I were like, and it's 50 bucks, like that just there's just no way it would be even close to that. And so if I think about the long game and building a, a platform and a tribe and all that, um, it's like okay, if a if a, if six months from now or a year from now that list is six thousand people, um, I can make a future thing to sell to those people, and you know this that can all pay off a little bit later or in a different like you know indirectly, uh, and and probably still be incredibly valuable. Yep, for sure. Maybe maybe your next your next um, ebook or course is you know triple the launch size you had this time, and then that would be well worth it. You know so exactly yeah yeah so i'm trying to i'm trying to like not mess up the good thing i have you know that's kind of mm-hmm. like my thought process like, mm-hmm. this is working so like maybe just keep doing what i'm doing yeah we'll see and are you enjoying producing the the exercises a little bit <laughs> um <laughs> It, it, so I'm doing it in a classic me way, which is like waiting to the last minute. Like I'm doing them day by day. <laughs> classic Ben. So like I, yeah, I, 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 I queue up the next day's challenge uh, exercise. Like it's usually done at some point during the day and it goes out at like 1 a.m. Um, the next day. So it's like every Sunday through Thursday, I wake up and I'm like, okay, before I go to bed, I have to get this thing done, record the podcast episode, make the forum thread, queue it all up. Um, and, and I'm so, some days it's done at two and some days it's done at 11 PM. I'm like doing it in the most stressful way possible, but like, that's just kind of, I don't know. I don't quite, I maybe don't need to do it this way, but I, I tend to do it this way just cause it's, I suck at not procrastinating. <laughs> yeah. So, well, here we are. it's all right. But future iterations of this will be so easy. comparatively. Right. Yeah, because you're building in it, you're building up the content. And you can reuse a lot of it. So yeah, exactly. And, and so like, I'll nuke the bot, you know, the worst ten percent of exercises, and then replace them with new ones. And the day to day will be, I can just focus on fostering really good discussion in the forum, helping people be successful, that kind of thing. One last thing, maybe before I kick it over to you, uh, I just finished reading a really good book that happened to like happened to just come into my life. Actually, no, so, someone linked it to me when he saw the Code Quality Challenge, particularly the language agnostic part of it. Um, 
and it's called Perennial Sellers, and it's by Ryan Holiday, who wrote uh, The Obstacle is the Way and Ego is the Enemy, which uh, seem to have been pretty popular, well-known books. It's so good. So the book is about um, how do you and how have people created things like books or products that sell for a very long time? So they're, they're influential and they last. Like there are books that 70 years after publication are still moving hundreds or thousands of copies every week. And what do those things have in common and how can you create them? It was, it was perfectly timed because it's like I'm creating this course. I want this course to be a thing that lasts a long time. Like I'm trying to create just by happenstance. I'm trying to create content that is agnostic from language and the current programming trends and all that. I listened to it on Audible and like it was just like perfect to perfect timing and 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 really well written and, and totally worth checking out. Yeah. That is that is cool. Like thinking about making it timeless, making it evergreen, speaking to the fundamentals, what are the things that are not going to change because those are probably the things that most people should be focusing on anyways, right? Mhm. Yeah. We need an affiliate link. We should we should affiliate affiliate link that book up. There you go. <laughs> Can make a three possibly three maybe four dollars from this endorsement <laughs> right here big money big money yeah um but yeah i think that's the the big stuff for me cool a few little notes for me we closed in on our first um elm engineer hire Woo-hoo. hey really so, yeah what is closed in you made an offer um accepted offer accepted yeah hey congrats thank you so and, and it's interesting the the channel through which he came so we, we originally posted our job posting through our normal channels, and I think it's hosted on Jazz is the system we use for, for publishing our job postings, and then our recruiters kind of sprinkle it out throughout you know, the different various channels, Stack Overflow and LinkedIn and all those places, right? And we were getting some inbound interest, but not, not a crazy amount. And so we kind of decided to step up the game, and so I, I posted it in the Elm Jobs Slack channel. And after I did that, someone hit me up on Twitter and was like, hey, I uh, just saw your post. You should also post it in this GitHub repository that was like some person's GitHub profile slash uh, Elm jobs. And, you know, I had a fair number of watchers on that repo. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll do that. And they had a basic template on like structure your post this way. So I just copied my uh, post that I posted in the Elm jobs channel and put it there. And within two minutes, some guy was like, hey. I just moved back to Minneapolis. I'm definitely going to apply for this. That turned out to be the guy. Yeah, it's funny how serendipitous these things can be. Um, totally. But, I love yeah. that it was just somebody's random repo. Right. I know. <laughs> I, want, I wonder how, like, that's, that's like the origins of uh, Craigslist, right? It was like Craig just like sent out a list of stuff to his friends in San Francisco and like eventually yeah. it became this huge thing. Right. I wonder if that, yeah. that person might have a job board on their hands. Yeah, seriously. So that was cool. And it, it turns out that. I don't think I've even told him this yet, but I think I was like, this guy looks so familiar. I'd actually met him before. I'd gone to a, an Elixir meetup and it was pretty small. There's not that many Elixir developers in Minneapolis yet, I guess. So there's like 10 people sitting around a table, just kind of a hack night. And I realized I had sat next, next to the guy for an hour um, a couple of months back. So, and he was hacking on Elm at the time. So that's, that's what I remember. <laughs> and our current front end engineer, Steven, um, is also very interested in elm has been he's been teaching himself kind of the the basics of it and and he's really loving it too so so i think we got a good a good duo to kick off our um visual email builder and i think we're going to get started on that shortly after the holiday so really really stoked to get that kicked off i'm looking forward to hearing more about that yeah yeah So, so i um I, I have been giving this talk about Elm um, at various places, and I spoke at uh, DC Ruby Users Group last week. Yeah, I keep I've started doing like a little poll before my talk where I say like who has heard of slash played with Elm, and just about every hand goes up. And then I say who is running Elm in production, and one hand goes up. And it's like we're like we're at that point where it's like it's it's got popular consciousness and excitement. And it's like, but it feels very early on the adoption, like actually adoption by real companies, you know, using it for real, making money off it, basically. I think it's going past that. Like, I think we're, we're crossing the chasm like right now. Mm-hmm. It's exciting mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. And, and you're helping. Yeah. I, 
I'm so glad that we that I'm in, in a position where I can vet a technology like this and just feel it in my bones. That, like this is the right one to use for this project and then just move on it. It's really I feel very happy to be in this type of position. So does the, does the person you hired have a, a lot of Elm experience? He's been doing Elm for a few years, I think, like off and on, but not not a lot of production Elm experience, I don't think, because I don't think there's very few who've actually been doing a lot of Elm in production. I think he was at a consultancy for for many years, and I think they had used it in a few projects, managed to get the client to agree to, to let them use Elm in some things. And then he's done some freelancing on his own using Elm uh, on those projects. So some production experience, but but quite a bit of just you know, working with the language on the side and for fun and stuff. Um, so I think he's, you know, far more knowledgeable than me on Elm at this point, which is good. <laughs> he can kind of be the teacher in our organization. Yeah. Did you give him some sort of like Elm project to, to do or like pairing interview or something like that? Yeah, we actually, so we've been, we've been transitioning to almost exclusively pairing to suss out coding capabilities, which has been awesome. We used to do like pay you for, pay you for, you know, four hours of your time and build this little thing and we'll look at the code later. But it's so much, it's much higher fidelity to just do pairing with them. So he came in or he actually he didn't even come in because this was kind of a tight turnaround. So we did a video call with him to kind of do the initial uh, interview, technical interview. And then um, he came in the next day and sat and paired with our other front end engineer for an hour. And I think he just pulled an, some Elm exercise um, off the shelf and they worked through it together. And that was actually good because, you know, Stephen doesn't really know Elm. So this was a good a good time to suss out, like, can this guy, you know, teach what he knows in a way that's effective? And is he going to get frustrated if, if, you know, he's not understanding the concept? Because we know how unique Elm is compared to other dynamic programming languages. So, and he passed with flying colors. Um, it was, it was great. Cool. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, Thoughtbot has been doing pairing interviews for a long time, and I'm I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a great way to do it. It's tough because it's hard to not make it kind of stressful. Like having gone through that process as the candidate, it it's hard. Like you're not at your best for sure because you know you're being evaluated. It's just you're right. It's it's high fidelity. It's 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 high bandwidth. It's like not just like let me see the code you wrote. It's like let me see how often you were making commits in Git and what those commit messages were and. You know how you recovered from errors and what you're t- like. Yeah, just there's just a million little things about that sort of give you information about where someone's at skill wise. Since this is mimicking real life, it's like we don't expect you to have all the APIs memorized of whatever tools you're working with. So, so how do you Google things? Do you you know do you do you search for things well, or you do you get really tripped up by that? And I think just trying to make it known that like, hey, this is not you know, I'm not like analyzing your every move this is you can you can relax a little bit we're just going to work through a problem as if we were working together normally and i think try to make it as comfortable as possible and then one other cool thing recently um there was a a one-day conference that happened in minneapolis and it was actually invite only i think because they were trying to trying to keep the audience relatively small at least for this this first year it was called Chaos Engineering Day, and it was put on by some Netflix engineers who ended up coming to town. And um, I think it was via Dev Jam, which is a pretty prominent consultancy uh, in the Twin Cities. And so they came and, and basically introduced the concept of chaos engineering. And um, there were a number of talks from from folks from different companies who are effectively using it. And it was a really interesting learning experience for sure to, to, to learn about um, what it's all about. So if folks are interested in the concept, you can go to principlesofchaos.org. Quickly to define the term, um, on principlesofchaos.org, it's defined as chaos engineering is the discipline of experimenting on a distributed system in order to build confidence in the system's capability to withstand turbulent conditions in production. I think Netflix was one of the original kind of pioneers of, of this type of testing, essentially. I think the famous example is their chaos monkey, which just like randomly terminates instances in production. And I think they started doing that back in 2008 or 2009 when they moved to AWS. One of the more interesting notes that one of the speakers made is that this is kind of like the natural progression of, of how testing has evolved. Like we started with, we started with just manual testing and then we started doing unit testing and then we, then we went 
you know, started doing full integration testing. And this is kind of like a natural extension of that, where it's like now we're testing the system. And the only way to really gain confidence that the system can withstand random failures is if we actually exercise those random failures. So, you know, identify what your steady state is, form a hypothesis about what will happen if certain failures occur, and then actually execute those failures and verify that your hypothesis is correct. So it's something that I aspire to do. Like, I think I would like to get there with Drip, um, being able to actually run these in an automated way. But I think it definitely helped me form like a, a list of uh, prerequisites that we would need to do in order to get to the point where we can like consistently run chaos tests um, in production. Oh, a chaos drippy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Is this like a, a, a sly uh, recruitment drive for Netflix? I don't know what their motive is. I think, I think to be honest, their motivation is at this point is just to spread uh, knowledge in the industry about what this is. And I think they're trying to, you know, they're very passionate about the practice and trying to turn it into a best practice. And um, there were a number of like representatives from large companies like Target and Best Buy that were present there. And in my conversations with them, I was like, so what'd you think of the conference? And and a number of them said, yeah, I hadn't hadn't even really heard of it. Like some of my some of the people on my team have been encouraging us to look into this. So it was like a, a mechanism for higher level managers of these teams to come and learn about it and at least become open to the idea. I think they're truly just on a mission to just spread the practice in the industry. And I'm sure like eventually it may, may be a virtuous cycle and come around to people wanting like anyone who's really passionate about this, like join netflix you know yeah yeah so So are you speaking of chaos are you how do you feel about your uh preparation for the upcoming black friday cyber (laughs) monday madness yeah you know honestly i feel i feel pretty good about about all the work we've done we now do a a weekly wins session for like 15 minutes on friday where we get to kind of highlight what good things have happened in the last week and this was a good one this last week because um you know we were able to announced to the team that we've effectively 10x'd our delivery throughput uh, from what it was like six months ago. Uh, so I feel really good about that. I mean, obviously, you never know what unknowns are going to occur, but we've we've made our best attempt in the time that we had to to identify the unknown unknowns and protect ourselves against odd failure modes. So I'm feeling pretty good. And we've got all our all our rotations in place and folks are on call and and we'll be like now through Monday. I think there's a schedule of people regularly checking in on the system, not just responding to alerts, but but just proactively checking all the vitals, making sure everything's good. So, yeah, cool. So it'll be interesting to uh, record next week. See how it all went. Yeah, I'm hopefully it'll just be a completely quiet non-event. You know, we'll just get to watch watch a lot of load come through the system and flush out quietly. And yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. Cool. Shall we uh, wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it. All right. It's good talking to you. You too, man. We we should do this uh, regularly. Yeah. Like every week or something. That sounds good. Deal. All right. Okay. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. I hit record on my new one. <laughs> yeah. I'm not actually recording. We're just talking. Yeah, that's right. It's just, listen, right, so it's just listening to me I've like heard... uh, like Amazon Alexa, you know, just, oh, just always record. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a passive recording. Exactly. Does Amazon Alexa, do they, so this is the thing I need to look into. Are, are, is it constantly streaming the audio to AWS or only when you activate it with the word? That's a good question. I don't know. I hope it's only when you that activate it. That feels important. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so too. But like, I'm not aware. I'm like such a classic consumer where it's like, mm-hmm. I hope it's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. I just relied on the collective like hacker community to raise a red flag if there was actually a major security issue here. But I don't know. Yeah. It's probably negligent yeah, of me. That's, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I hope that's actually doing that. Yeah. How about that net neutrality, huh? Oh, geez. Are you going to black out drip to raise <laughs> awareness? 
Yeah, I don't know. I haven't I haven't thought about activism on the Drip website, but uh, yeah, it's just like you got we got to keep fighting this god. That's the same damn fight. Like God, it's so frustrating. Yeah, I know. It's like these lar- like Comcast and AT and T have so much money to possibly gain if they get this through that they can just have teams of people that are always trying to push this thing through. Mm-hmm. And it's like against like the populists, which it's just hard to continually whip into the appropriate frenzy to get these things blocked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, we need a permanent solution, but I don't know that that seems tough to come by. Yeah. It's like, we li- I think you literally need an act of Congress to like solve this for a, a longer period of time. Can we like, get a constitutional block. amendment? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, like the internet feels important enough that like amend- a constitutional amendment is almost appropriate. That would be a funny relic. Like if, you know, 300 years down the line, they're like, Oh yeah. And then there's amendment, 32 that's uh in relation to this thing called the internet that we used to uh <laughs> yeah. used to have all right so i have i have drip questions yes or drip question i guess lay it on me so i heard through the grapevine that mailchimp is now defaulting to not requiring a double opt-in really for mailing lists yeah that's gutsy um, which makes you yeah which makes me wonder like do I still need a double opt-in? Hmm. Like, what are what are the pros and cons here? So the, I mean, the pros for you as a person managing a list is that um, it will it will restrict how many people make it through. Like, a certain percentage will will not make it through that opt-in phase, and so yeah. and if they don't if they don't make it through double opt-in, then I I think. You know, odds are they're not going to be um, necessarily opening or interacting with your emails, and so you're just paying for a subscriber that's not that's not interacting. Mm. So that's the incentive yep, for okay. you as the list holder is that you could be paying for unengaged subscribers. Um, mm-hmm. It's also like it's one of those fundamental concepts that helps with deliverability overall. And it's hard to say like if you're if you're on the small scale and you have you know several thousand people on your list, then I don't know if I don't know how much the deliverability correlation really occurs where like if you end up with a couple hundred unengaged subscribers and that you normally wouldn't have had if you had double opt-in, does that actually impact your specific deliverability? I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. but mm. on at least on a grand scale, like, um, you know, if you're not always emailing to unengaged people, then ISPs should look more favorably upon your other emails. So I don't know. It's one of those okay. black boxes. It's really hard to say. Um, it is interesting, though. That's that could be a signal that that behaviors are starting to change with with ESPs. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Could you run a query and figure this out for on the drip side? Probably right. Like if it impacts, like oh, like deliverability metrics for accounts that don't use double opt in versus ones that do, something like that. Right. Yeah, I could probably yeah. do that. Yeah, that would be not a bad idea. Because it, it would prevent like double opt-in. Also, make sure like someone typed their email address correctly, right? Mm-hmm. So like it prevents the like bounces, I guess. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see like click-through rates, I guess, or like open actual opens would probably be the better thing to look at. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, another thing how how reliable are so I'm thinking about pruning some people off the code quality list. Yep. Because like there's I don't everyone that signed up is not participating for sure. Um, can I use opens per, to pretty reliably indicate that someone is not actually reading the emails or are there email clients that won't send that data and I might be cutting off people that are legit? There's always the chance you're cutting off people that are legit. Um, we do, like if you if you have explicit call to actions in a lot of your emails and, yeah, I do. and, clicks, and clicks is a good heuristic, we always register an open when a click occurs. So okay. to to ensure that, that like a click event implies that someone actually opened the email regardless of whether the tracking pixel fired or not. So um, mm-hmm. if you have pretty high click through rates, then, you know, then you're probably a little more safe to prune because. OK, yeah, that, yeah. that would make sense. Yeah. Like I have a forum thread in every email just about. So like if you've never clicked it and we're 10 days in, yeah, you probably are inactive. I guess if I wanted to be totally sure, I could just send an email and be like, "Hey, I'm about to prune you unless you click this link, you know, to prove that you're still you're still here." Yeah, um, yeah. That's a. There's actually this thing. I think it's called the single double opt in or something like that. 
and there's like a whole workflow you can use to to re to re opt in unengaged subscribers and it's and it's that mm-hmm. basically that pattern of sending them a thing and saying like you're about to get pruned but click this to stay on otherwise auto prune them um i think yeah. there's some workflows floating around mm-hmm. out there that that do that um I'll, okay i also kind of like i just like mentally like the idea of like there's actually i have language in the code quality challenge of like it's i said it's like a free language agnostic exercise of will hmm. and like the idea is like if you're not doing it like i don't want to make a thing where it's like we can all be you know friends and and it's okay like just maybe just watch yeah it's like we're doing like if you're doing this you're doing this so like participate and i'm gonna cut you off if not and like it's fine if you're not but yeah that's, that's what it is actually that that led me to i almost brought this up on the episode um in the yeah. unsolicited advice section or unsolicited ideas. Um, but I was yeah. like, what if you had some concept of like a leaderboard or some way for people to self-report that they mm, have accomplished things? Yeah, That's like classic yep. gamification. But I think in this type of yeah. scenario where there's there's accountability and there's kind of like social pressure to, to do it. And I don't know, people get that little rush from getting a, gaining a badge or a star or something, you know? Totally. That's actually a really good idea. That because I have w- found myself wondering, are there people that are participating actively and just not commenting on the forums? Yeah. Because like the threads get like 100 responses or something. The emails go out to 600 people. The threads get 100 responses. But I bet there's you know some amount of people that are like, I don't want to comment on the forum, but I'm still doing the thing. Yeah. And so if I had just like a <clears throat> click here to indicate that you did the thing, that would be inter- like good data, good data to have. And you're right, it might be motivational. Yeah. And you could even like... You could probably set that up through Drip, where you have a um, I don't know how how what you would use for hosting the leaderboard or whatever. Like, if there's software that can do that or plugins for Discourse or something, but you could certainly have follow up automated follow up emails through Drip and trigger links that you, when you click it, the trigger link does something to that that event yep. could get picked up somewhere else and and attribute mm-hmm. that uh, that win to them or something. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll have to think about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you tried any of the exercises? I have done... I saw you post in the introductions thread. Yes. Um, so <clears throat> I've, been a, I've been a bad participant and haven't done <laughs> many of them, but I am mm-hmm. acu- I'm storing them up and I'm planning to circle back to them. And I do, I do think it could be interesting for, uh, for my team to do them as well. Like I still, mm-hmm. I think that could be, could be cool. So cool. Yeah, I, I'm actually seeing, so I thought about closing the, the threads after a couple days, like mm-hmm. the older, like day one type thing. Yeah. But I'm still seeing people doing them. Like just today, someone was like, oh, I was sick last week. So I'm just getting to this now, but I'm gonna try to do two a day until I catch up. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, it's like, it's, it's nice if you can do them in real time. But even if not, like I'm creating a, a list of good to do's that are worth thinking about it and, and maybe even doing just some of them. So yeah. It's hard to figure out like what the attitude should be, you know? It's kind of like you miss the window, like the threads close after a I week. Know. Like to me it's better that people do some of it at some point than, you know, yeah. just be like, "Oh, I missed a couple days. Now I'm off my cadence. Let me drop out entirely." Yeah. Which is what I think will happen. Yeah, I definitely feel like like once I missed a few days, then I'm like, "Okay, I'm going async on these and I'm not going to necessarily be able to yeah. keep up with the cadence." Um, I'm trying yep. to step outside of my own head for a second and think what what would have forced me to do them in a more timely manner i don't know if there's some form of time pressure Mm. that would have like closing the well see i don't i'm not necessarily one to participate a whole lot in discussion threads but i know a lot of a lot of folks in your community are so maybe i'm not representative but i don't know if that would be enough incentive or if there was hmm Mm. i wonder so one thing i've seen is like self-paced versions of these things Mm -hmm. like if i if i if i did something like a leaderboard or some sort of like actually tell me when you finish it like you don't get day two until you complete day one whenever that is that could be interesting yeah and it's like there's more good content hiding behind here but you don't get to see it because you haven't done it and you you could always you know just claim you've done it and click the thing but yeah that might be like that sort of framing might be good yeah right because yeah if you if you just click the button that said I did it, I don't know. A lot of people have a conscience or feel like they don't want to be dishonest, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I, I I trust people to to do the right thing, even though some of them won't. Oh, speaking of which, yeah, I did a kind of crazy thing. <laughs> what you do? 
So in Perennial Sellers, uh, Ryan Holiday talks about his recommendations for if you want to create a thing that becomes a fairly like that be, like to be a perennial seller, you need kind of a lot of uh, reach, mm-hmm. um, and you need to re- like be known by a lot of people. And so he likes to he recommends pricing things not too expensively. He mm-hmm. thinks like on the cheaper side is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And he actually talked about a number of examples of authors who would write books. There was this one author, and he wrote books, and he um, uploaded his own book to uh, a BitTorrent thing, BitTorrent tracker. No way. So that people who couldn't afford it or were the types to pirate it would still read it. Um, because he would rather have the exposure and the distribution than not. Interesting. Um, and so a couple of days ago, I uploaded Refactoring Rails. <laughs> I created a, a BitTorrent thing for it. <laughs> and uh, so... It's out on the, it's in the piracy world. No way. That's great. Uh, do yeah. you have any visibility on like how many people are downloading it? What you, I've never used BitTorrent I, actually. I, so <laughs> kind of not really. So, so no is the answer except okay. that. So like, um, you kind of do. So I, the course is, f- um, three. So like I've up, I can see that I've uploaded, uh, the course like one and a half times to some, to other people. Mm hmm. Like so, the, but the way BitTorrent works is like the pieces get distributed amongst the cloud. There's not like a bunch of peers seeding it right now. I'm the only seed. Okay. So seeding is just means like you have the complete files. Yep. You're sending it out to anyone that asks. Yep. I'm the only seed right now, um, but I have sent out the stuff more than the full course to people, which means like probably there were a couple clients connected at some point and they shared amongst each other too. Yep. Um, but I'm thinking honestly of like tweeting about it or something like i'm like how much do i like i feel like i think there's a decent like if you're playing the long long game converting 100 people getting 100 people to watch this course that weren't going to pay for it is a win right like (laughs) probably a big win because like i just keep seeing these things where it's like oh i've been following you for a long time and now i'm gonna buy this thing or like i changed jobs and they're willing to pay for this course so let me do it and like yeah there's a lot of value in like the getting people to see that the course is good and that I'm a good person and like maybe join my newsletter for free and then hear about the next thing. And so I don't know. I guess it's like, I don't know if I fully understand the motivations of the people who want to pirate things like that. Like, are they, are they people who would be open to ever buying something or are they always just looking for to get stuff for free? You know, I guess that's the only thing like it it could and maybe it only so I don't know if it only works at scale where like you're really going for like um, just pure name awareness and getting, you know, getting eyeballs on your stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if at at a little bit more niche scale, like does that does that still work or are you just going to be basically catering to people who are too cheap to buy and will never be in your paying customer category? Yeah. If they're never going to be a paying customer, then there's no negative to giving them the stuff for free. Yeah, then there's only a benefit, which is they they then maybe they know who I am and they they say something nice about me to someone else or something. You know, fair point. My guess is, like, because I am not a faceless company, and this is like refactoring rails by Ben. Mm -hmm. I think people would not want to pirate it mm-hmm. knowing that it affects me directly like the people that are kind of in my audience i feel like would would kind of tend towards being like i'm gonna do the right thing and, and pay for it if i like this or want this yeah uh, and it's not too expensive um but if you're like i like ben but i live in mongolia or whatever and like we have a terrible exchange rate and you know it's just I, i'm never gonna be able to afford the thing like i said on uh the ruby on rails podcast like if you can't afford this like this is priced for us developers yeah. or like you know eu developers and so like if you can't afford it just email me and i will give you a discount yeah and this is just kind of like let me make it even easier mm. yeah so that's know. interesting actually this this reminds me so i was digging in a little bit to um the discourse business model um because mm-hmm. what's intriguing to me about them is that all their software is open source and yep. yet they've built a company i mean so they published these numbers in an indie hackers um uh, interview that they did mm. a while back, uh, a couple months ago, I think. And I think they're at somewhere like 120,000 a month MRR, which is healthy. Mm. It's like I would expect it to be much higher based on how many years they've been at it and um, 
mm, you know, the yeah. funding they've raised and stuff. So it's like, oh, I, oh, I wonder if they're stifling their their growth by having, you know, by making it open source. But on the other hand, um, you know, his the points he makes about about why they're doing that is like, okay, there's people who are in the market to buy software, and then there are people who are just you know, want to hack on it and people who just want to use it for something non-commercial. And if those mm-hmm. people are never going to buy your software anyways, then why not just let them have it for free? And conversely, companies want support. They don't want to deal with setting up infrastructure. They don't want to, you know, manage their own, you know, redundancy and make sure this thing stays up. They just want to pay. Like companies are yep. have money and are willing to exchange dollars so that they don't have to you know, all of a sudden start maintaining this hosted version of this software, right? So it's like yep. sell to the people who, who are in the market to pay and all, everyone else can just have it for free. And that's pretty intriguing. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, mm-hmm. it's open source is marketing. And <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. So I've been thinking... And, and like if you get discourse spread around the world... Uh, like when people land on a discourse forum, they know how to use it and it's familiar. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, this is a nice, I know this thing. Right. And when you went to yeah. endeavor to set up your discourse thing, you decided it was worth the money to just pay for the hosting as opposed to fiddling with setting yeah. up, standing up your own instance. Um, totally. But but I uh, first found discourse because we needed a forum on Upcase and mm-hmm. we got the open source version and hacked in our own, at, this, at that point they didn't support single sign-on. Yeah, and so because it was open source, we hacked in our own single sign-on, so we could have them, you know, not create another user account, and then yeah. ran that for a while, and yeah. then they added single sign-on themselves, and we're like, let's not mess around with this anymore, and they migrated us off, and Upcase will pay Discourse hundred bucks a month forever. Yep, and it, it came in through the the free channel. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. I think it's something I'm beginning a lot of thought to about you know future endeavors like. What what models what alternative models are there to just purely commercial SaaS and yeah it's pretty interesting stuff to dig into yeah totally so yeah I'm honestly thinking about publishing or like publicizing my torrent hmm. be like hey like if you can't afford it download it yep. if you want to sample it download it and maybe buy it if you like it or just like I think my sales burst has happened. I have some, like there are probably some other things I can do to get some more sales, but now at this point it's a trickle. Yep. And so it's like, how can I get another thousand people or a few hundred people to watch this course? Yeah. Because I think that will only work really like well for me in the end. Yeah. Over the longer term. Yeah. It would be a gutsy move for sure. Maybe that's my black Friday sale. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't know. I kind of like it. I like, I like weird stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like notable. Like people would probably like, wow, that's interesting. Like they might spread it around or share it or Mm -hmm. something. Mm hmm. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anything else up with you? I don't think so. Um, Yeah, enjoying taking a little time off. So I'm pulling back a little bit this week. We'll be, I'll be around for uh, Black Friday, like watching my yeah. watching my Slack and stuff. But uh, of course, it's great. It's a great feeling to have a team who's capable, far more capable than me at this point, to to keep our infrastructure healthy. Uh, that's a nice milestone to cross. Uh, Definitely, yeah. Like you would be in the way in some 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 regards. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> these days when like. We're like, oh, the database is behaving kind of weird. I wonder what's going on. And we used to just, you know, I would look at the metrics, system level metrics, and like, oh, I don't know. That's not sure what's going on. Or ask our DBA, and he's like, yeah, I'm not too sure. And now we've got we've got a, a guy on our team, or actually two, who are like, we'll dig into the kernel metrics and be like, yeah, I flushed the cache on this because at this point, like the large pages are like thrashing the CPU, mm-hmm. and da, da, da. I'm like, wow, that's that's impressive. That's like hardcore yeah. SRE type stuff, and uh, it's nice mm-hmm. to have <laughs> have some of that knowledge on the team. Um, so, definitely, you've you've arrived. Drip is growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. It's it's a torrent, not a drip anymore. <laughs> yeah. Dude, the drip.com domain is so legit. I Every know. time I go to it, I'm like, four letter.com. It's, it's just awesome. Like, that's real. 
Oh, did you yeah. hear? Did you see the 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 uh, D.R.I.P. relaunch? What? Uh, yeah. No. So, uh, Kickstarter <laughs> bought. So so Drip.com used to be an indie music sharing site. Okay. It was like some startup. I think they started after we after we got started, but shortly after. Um, and okay. I think they raised VC money, probably ran out of cash, did a fire sale. That's when we scooped up the domain is when they had basically shut down. Oh. And I think Kickstarter scooped up the team that was running it and just last week relaunched it as a competitor to Patreon. Uh-huh. And, and they, they got the domain D.R.I.P. And they're still calling it Drip. And I don't fully understand this because, I mean, I don't think we're known everywhere, but, you know, we're, Drip is becoming a pretty uh, popular name in the marketing space. And I think a lot of folks who would, mm. who would be using um, a Patreon-like service may also be doing marketing. So I, it's not right. like a direct right. overlap or anything, but it's a little bizarre to cloud the you know, headspace of users by using the same name. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you have a legal team now, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure that would be a colossal waste of time to, to pursue that uh, legal action on that, but it is, I don't know. It's just unfortunate. I think it is. I don't know. I mean, if you got lawyers on, in stat, on, on, on hand, it might be worth a, a letter, right? Well, we don't quite have lawyers you, on not? staff. And I think they're like expensive. So <laughs> I don't well, know. It's one of those practical things. Yeah. It's like, do we, do we get mired down in that? Probably not worth it, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well you got the dot com. You win. Yeah. Right. What's, what's the dot rip anyway? Come on. That's not a domain. So someone on our team was looking it up and it's like, um, whoever filed the, the TLD was like, it's for honoring, Loved ones that have passed away, or something like that, because you know, rest in peace, R.I.P. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of okay. a stretch. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I would like. Yeah, I can't imagine building. Well, anyway, yeah. Who knows? Maybe that. Maybe that's that's cool. Online cemetery. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I should get going. Yeah. Me too. Good chat. Good you want to publish this thing somehow? Uh, yeah. Some way? This seems like good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to do that. I don't think we want to pay Podcast Motor for another podcast. Mm. Yeah. Like this one doesn't really need editing, but someone would have to composite the stuff together and blah, blah, blah. Right. Have you ever done that? I wonder. <laughs> uh, I have not. No. I probably could, but I don't want to. Um <laughs> Maybe if we want to keep doing these, we don't do a double ender. We use one of those fancy, like, uh, record everything at once tools. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I used one I used one for one of the podcasts I guessed it on recently. It was just like, go to this link in your browser. And, like, all of a sudden, it was just like, yeah, you're, you're good. You're recording and everything's yeah, there. Yeah. I, uh, I think Rob uses that. Rob and Mike use that now for starters for the rest of us. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I don't think editing would be worth the money for just chatting. No. Okay. And we want to do this on a different feed or the same feed? Same feed? That's a good question, actually. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, do we want to maintain two podcasts? Not really, right? Not really. Maybe it should just be like a episode companion. <laughs> like, there's like episode twenty five, and then there's like e two five after dark. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. I like it. Or I mean, do you, we could even just consider, if we wanted to save money, we could just, instead of hitting stop and starting a new recording, just be like, okay, we're done. Hey, what's up? Yep. And just like keep going, bas- like play the outro music. If we Do we even have outro music? I don't even know. <laughs> Maybe we should get outro music. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, exactly. Featuring, yeah, new, new features in the podcast. Outro music and then more talking after. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> it's like basically a musical interlude. Yeah. But yeah, so we could just, instead of stopping, we could just be like, all right, brain mode too casual and then try that and then see if that works yeah i i like that's not that's not terrible because um 
you know, people who are just around for the more polished, like, uh, edited, you know, chatter can stay for the first part. And then yep. if you want to hang out afterward, mm-hmm. then you could, you could stick around. Yeah, you can hang with us. Yeah. And then, yeah, I kind of like that. And then, like, uh, we can just tell Podcast Motor, like, don't edit the last stuff. Like, don't worry about it. Like, just jam it together and, and stick it on the end. Right. It's fine. Yeah. I think they'd be cool with that. It shouldn't really create much more work, for, or almost any more work for them, I think. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's try that next week. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Uh, and maybe we'll just, why don't we send this? I think we're, I think we could have five episodes a month or maybe not. I don't know. Let's, why don't we, oh, we're not doing one for Thanksgiving. So we have a slot anyway. There you go. So we'll send this one to them. They'll do this one. And then afterwards we'll just tack it on to the, to the end. Perfect. All right. Sounds cool. good. I hope you have all enjoyed listening to the sausage being made. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out. Just kidding. No one's listening. No one's listening. <laughs> nope. Nope. It's just you and me. Yep. These mics are off. All right. Well, have a great Thanksgiving. You too, man. Have a good one. I can't believe this whole time you've been drink- you've been slamming whiskey from the bottle. Like you really are on vacation. <laughs> Shh, don't tell. I wish everyone could see this. See you just drinking heavily this whole time. <laughs> oh. That'd be a good bit. That'd be a good bit. All right. Cool, man. Uh, yeah. Good talking. All right. See you next week. See ya. Bye. Yep. Next week. <laughs>